Welcome to the Michigan State University Work-Life Podcast. We are sitting here this morning with Nick Drew in the psychology building. Nick, good morning. Good morning. Maybe by the time we're done with this, it will be afternoon. <laughs> but hopefully we don't go more than uh, you know five or six hours because our listeners start to get bored. Are you okay with about 30 minutes? I'm okay with about 30 minutes, absolutely. <laughs> All right, I'm sure you have a really busy day today as an administrator in the psychology department. But why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your role, what you do now, uh, your day-to-day activities, and your history with MSU. Sure. So right now I serve as the chief of staff in the Department of Psychology at MSU. Um, I've been here for about nine months. Um, So in my role, I kind of oversee the administrative components of our department. So the financial aspects, the human resources and facilities, grant management, and and the overall administrative support that we provide to our faculty and staff here in the department. I've been at MSU since 2011. Um, I actually graduated from MSU with a bachelor's in economics in 2011, and then just have been here for the last eight years. I started in the uh, provost office working for Dr. Doug Eastry, uh, associate provost for undergraduate education, Um, and I worked there for about uh, four and a half years. Then I uh, joined the MSU Division of Public Health based in Flint, um, as its division administrator, I was there a little over three years, and then, I, like I said, I joined the psychology department last November. So you've been in different departments and even different cities over the course of several years. You've seen probably a lot of changes at Michigan State in general over the years you've been here. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen at MSU? Absolutely. So kind of when I started at MSU, um, in 2011, it had just started its Enterprise Business Systems, EBS, as many people know it. So that was definitely a big change from uh, paper-based um, system to fully electronic. Um, so, you know, within that, um, definitely, um, you know, that was a big change for people. And over the years, we've had a number of systems. Most people know our research administration. You know, recently our travel system um, that's come online, which is really, really cool if you haven't um, explored that. So definitely a lot of system-based changes. Um, definitely seen a lot of people um, retire. So, you know, people I started out with in 2011 are, you know, a lot of, of them have retired, including a lot of previous um, bosses. So um, definitely, you know, lots of student changes as well. Uh, our student enrollment has grown quite a bit. I think this year it's around, I think it's 8,500 or 8,000. It's definitely one of the biggest classes, if not the biggest class this year. Um, so definitely, uh, you know, people. And again, you know, um, yeah. And uh, you were a student at MSU, and now you're an employee. I see you wear a lot of Michigan State polos <laughs> frequently. Uh, in terms of the identity of a Spartan, have you seen that change over the years that you've been both a student and an employee, or does it mean the same thing today to be an MSU Spartan that it meant a decade ago? I think it's actually gotten stronger. So, you know, with the um, Spartans' will um, promotion, you know, I've definitely seen a lot more promotion of MSU than probably I'd say even a decade or even, you know, 15 years ago. Um, you know, definitely I see a lot of people, even uh, in my hometown of Swords Creek, which is near Flint, a lot of people wearing Spartan um, gear. Um, I just feel like it's definitely gotten stronger, um, especially as we've brought new people here to campus, whether uh, employees or students. So definitely I've seen it um, just grow even bigger than it was. That's great to hear because that's one of the 
purposes of the podcast, one of the goals is to build a, a little bit stronger community. We're reaching out to a variety of folks across campus to share resources and best practices about how to be an outstanding supervisor. And I think if we f- form a stronger network and stronger interpersonal relationships, we can build a stronger Spartan identity and a stronger community. So that's the way that we're going, and that's what we're looking to do with this podcast just being a drop in the bucket, but it's it's one of those aspects of our work that if we make connections and we build partnerships with people across departments, overall, MSU can be a stronger uh, community and a better place to work. Do you see that going in the right direction? Are you building partnerships across departments or with individuals across campuses? Absolutely. And I think over time as I've gone, you know, I've worked in, a, a, in an MAU uh, position. I've worked, you know, um, in, in two departments or one department and one division. So definitely along the way, I've built a lot of different connections with people across campus and various units that I've met in, you know, professional development opportunities or meetings. So it's definitely great. And it's been people at all levels, too. So it's not just support staff or students, but also, you know, faculty members, administrators um, at various levels at the institution. So and, you know, again, I think um, you know, I've, I've made a lot of great connections here, and it's great, especially, you know, you never know when you might need to, you know, ask a question or reach out to somebody, um, which I think is, you know, absolutely, you know, essential to be successful in any any career is that, you know, building your network and, you know, maintaining those connections. For sure. As smart as we both are, and we are super smart, Nick. You and I are some of the most brilliant guys around. I don't know if the sarcasm is translating very well over the podcast, but as smart as we are, uh, we don't know everything. And it's important to reach out across campus when we don't know something and we can find somebody that does know the answer and get support that way and connected to various resources. So with the leaders that you've met across campus and your colleagues and peers and coworkers. Uh, either in the Department of Psychology or outside, are there any individuals or a set of individuals who you rely on primarily for information and answering your questions in the form of a mentorship relationship? Is there anyone across campus you can think of that you say, this is a person who I know has a lot of answers and I can pattern my behavior after this individual because they're a great supervisor? Sure. So, and, and just to answer your question, this is related to specifically people who are supervisors? It could be anyone. Okay. Yeah. All right. We've had some uh, individuals on the podcast who have uh, got inspiration from those they supervise, and they sort of mirror the behavior in a servant leadership uh, type role where they get inspiration from those they serve, and then they and then they um, provide resources, and they uh, operate on a servant leadership uh, you know, day-to-day way. Um, but then there are other folks that uh, you might have, even before you came to work at Michigan State, could have been a professor, and you just say, it, like, I myself have a professor that uh, was a chair on my dissertation committee who does a great job at uh, communicating by email. So sometimes when I uh, find myself, you know, getting a little bit unprofessional in my emails, I remember how he would always type an email and I say, oh, I got to get back to that. So even the small things doesn't have to be like uh, a real uh, broad mentorship relationship, but just 
tricks of the trade that you've learned over the years from individuals who you, you worked with? Sure, I can definitely think of a few. Um, the first being, so when I was 14, I worked at a boys and girls club near my house, and I had a boss. It was my first true boss, and he was a very difficult man to work for. I know a lot of people who didn't actually like working for him. But one thing that I really can admire him on is that he was really able to um, – uh, you know, get buy-in from people, and he was always open for feedback. So while he was, you know, more difficult and very, you know, big on time management, and you know, even in a sense, he did a little bit of micromanaging. You know, he was still, you know, open for feedback, and, and he had an open door policy, and. Um, you know, just, you know, I, I've personally enjoyed working for him. Like I said, I know others that didn't. But, you know, again, he was just really open. He, you know, um, treated his, his, his staff very well. Um, it was just kind of some of his um, micromanagement, I think, that might have, you know, turned some people off. Um, at MSU, I would say my first um, formal boss, she's no longer here, but um, she was my boss when I worked uh, for Dr. Eastry in the provost office. I really, really looked up to her. Um, I thought she had a really great management style. Um, she was open and honest, so, um, you know, again, like I knew when I, you know, got direction or, or, or spoke with her, I knew everything that she was saying was the truth. Um, you know, again, really, really um, easy, great person to work for, you know, had complete trust in me, you know, really gave me, um, you know, appreciation, showed me appreciation, you know, for, for the work that I did. So I really, really um, look up to her for that. That's good when you get a supervisor early in your career that can kind of shape you for years to come. And I think it works the opposite way as well. If someone's first job and they're right out of college and they're 22 and they get a, a supervisor who is not open and honest, who is not truthful, you know, who lies a lot, a lot, but is in a very powerful position, and that's that individual's first supervisor, they can pick up a lot of bad traits. And I think that's really unfortunate. So in these podcasts, we've been talking a lot about the positive aspects of supervision and also the negative traps that some supervisors fall into. Just being in a power powerful position with a lot of stress and uh, weight on the shoulders, but then exhibiting behaviors that just aren't really great for the team to be productive. And so we're trying to focus both on the positive and some of the things to avoid here in these podcasts. Uh, But it was great to hear that you got uh, some really good supervision early on in your career that shaped you and helped you um, form best practices for years to come. So that's good to hear. One thing you brought up was micromanagement. I wrote it down here as something that we need to uh, dig a little bit deeper into, and I have a personal reason for that. I'm working with my boss. She's probably going to kick, get a kick, going to get a kick out of listening to this podcast that I'm mentioning this. Uh, but my boss and I are trying. One of the things we're trying to improve on right now between the two of us is improving my communication so that my supervisor is better aware of what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. That's important that a supervisor knows what the employees are doing, keeping track of projects and all that stuff. At the same time, my boss is uh, trying not to be overburdensome or micromanage. Uh, she wants to know what I'm doing, but she doesn't need to know too much. You know, Supervisors try to avoid micromanaging because sometimes it's not that well-perceived by staff members. So I'm going to ask you the question about um, balancing micromanagement with effective communication. So how can you get 
the information that you need from your employees without your employees thinking like, oh, Nick's looking over my shoulder 24-7 and I'm kind of scared that he wants to know too much details and I'm starting to develop some paranoia. So how do you balance the communication with avoiding any uh, perceptions of micromanagement? Sure. And let me start by just saying that, you know, there's, you know, when we talk about um, micromanaging, you know, there are situations where I need to have information fast and maybe I do communicate with certain employees or my team in general about certain situations because information is flowing fast. I'm being asked for information maybe from somebody um, above me and so I just need to be able to provide that information. So there are times where you know I might be more heavily involved in a situation with that employee but for the most part more of the routine day-to-day stuff. Um, so I have um, bi-weekly one-on-ones with all of my staff and so that's an opportunity to kind of go over the work that they're doing. Um, you know, I, I, We both bring a list to the table so I usually let them start off with their list of things that they need from me. And again, that's not the only time they can get stuff from me. They can. I have an open door policy. Um, I'm constantly talking to my staff um, throughout the day if they have questions on, on something or something comes in and they're not sure how to proceed. So this is just a formal time that's blocked off on my calendar so that we can kind of sit down, maybe talk more long-term about projects um, or tasks or anything related to their work, um, as well as then I bring things as well. So typically, a lot of times, our lists are very similar um, so we both come in with kind of the same things. And so I let them come in and tell me as opposed to me doing all of the talking. I want to hear from them, you know, what's going on with them, you know, where are they struggling, where they need my assistance. Because, again, I don't want to micromanage and I don't want to force myself into tasks or situations where maybe I don't need to be necessarily in for every single piece. Um, so we do that. And then we also have within each of our um, teams, so we have a finance team, an HR team, an office services team, we have um, on the off weeks, we have a team meeting specifically with those teams. So there's multiple people that work on some of these functions. So again, it's important for um, not only me to be able to talk with you know, the people on those teams individually, but then also as a team as well, because there is you know, group work um, you know, as, a, as opposed to just individual work, and we all need to make sure we're on the same page as well. So that's an opportunity on those off weeks to um, kind of talk together as a team, work on projects where it's just more between me and that person. And, you know, really kind of um, you, right now we're focusing a lot on policy development and education. So um, one of the things that, you know, we're doing is we're trying to focus on one or two policies at a time as opposed to we're going to roll out a whole bunch of policies. And again, these policies are based on MSU policy. We're not, we're trying to make it um, easier for faculty and staff here to kind of be better educated on our policies at MSU. And rolling out one or, one or two at a time is a realistic approach so that employees don't feel overburdened by a, a huge stack of policies and a, a, you know, a 500-page document that needs review. So pacing it out is great. And it's nice to have that open-door uh, policy on your calendar even uh, where individuals can come in and communicate with you either one-on-one or, as you mentioned, in a team setting. Those are all very helpful, practical tools. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit, though, and ask you how you maintain your open door appointments on the calendar in your biweekly one-on-ones. And the reason I say devil's advocate is because I've seen that backfire in the past, personally, myself, um, where a supervisor will schedule a one-on-one, and the team member takes a lot of uh, value in that one-on-one. And it's a big deal to... Uh, an employee, you know, a staff member is like, this is the one-on-one appointment with my boss that I've been waiting two weeks to talk mm. to my boss. 
and then it gets canceled or moved because of some crisis that comes up that you might have to deal with. Um, so I'm assuming that you might have to move some around on your calendar. So I'm kind of asking the question a couple ways. Uh, how do you keep that from backfiring? And also, what do you do when you have to move around uh, your open door uh, calendar item, which is really sought after and, and uh looked toward by your staff how do you kind of juggle that absolutely and like you you know like you said things come up you know crises come up around here you know sometimes my boss needs me in the moment i need to be in on a meeting and so i do have to readjust and so one of the things i really try to do is really give as much notice as i can you know and kind of explain kind of you know as much detail as i can what that situation is you know again apologize that i have to reschedule um, but then make it a firm point to try and reschedule that as soon as possible and, and also let them know, hey, if there's something, you know, if I have 10 or 15 minutes, hey, is there something we can hash out and maybe finish that at our, like, you know, whenever we're able to reschedule that meeting. So, you know, again, I think the staff are pretty understanding here. You know, they, they understand we're a very busy office. We have, you know, 65, 70 faculty here. And with that comes support staff and, um, you know, other employees and students. And so things come up that, you know, sometimes priorities have to be rejected adjusted um you know again same thing too um you know i let my staff know this as well and i try to communicate with in advance if there's you know if we're thinking that really we don't really have a need to meet you know we'll take that off the books and again you know i'll, I'll say are there things that you want to talk about you know again i find here you know myself included it's always great to have more time to you know get work done during the day as well as opposed to meetings so i don't want to have a meeting just for the sense of a meeting either so i think that combination approach of you know again realizing that i i try not to reschedule um but there's times that i have to do it just based on what's going on but then at the same time too we're not just meeting to have meetings around here so you know if if we can kind of free up um you know time for for them to get some work done that may, they need to get done or for me or whatever then you know i, th- I think it goes both ways and I heard a couple really important aspects of uh, your approach, and that is I think if there is trust built between the supervisor and the staff member that, look, my boss just isn't sloughing me off and canceling this because my boss doesn't think I'm important. If there is a trust built up where your employee knows my boss really is busy and this is really important, I understand what a crisis is as an employee that rescheduling is uh, an option and it's understood and there's that trust there. The second thing is rescheduling. From my own personal experience, when uh, I've had bosses cancel the one-on-one with me and it doesn't get rescheduled, that indicates to me that there's no value in it for my boss. But it sounds like you're rescheduling these pretty promptly. And so that says, yes, something came up, but we're not going to just throw away this meeting. Hmm. We need to meet and we're going to reschedule it very soon. So I heard that trust and rescheduling components come out. Absolutely. And the other thing, too, so I actually, you know, again, I think I've got a pretty good relationship with all of my team members here. Um, so I had a I had an employee here that said, you know, Nick, you know, I think we had it scheduled for one thirty on Monday. And they said, you know, it just could we, you know, maybe find another time. Um, ironically, I have these scheduled on payroll week for biweekly employees. And so, you know, again, our timesheets are due at noon and I really just want to get to work. And, you know, I could get to work at one o'clock and then I've got to meet with you at one thirty to two thirty. So could we find another day, maybe move it toward the later end of the week? And so I'm glad that she did tell me that. And we went ahead and rescheduled that. Um, 
outside of trying to get payroll entered because again you know i'm putting things on my calendar and you know at the time when i did it i just wasn't necessarily thinking about all of their deadlines as well so if things come up with them you know i don't think any of them um have a problem coming to me and saying hey can we reschedule this i've got this or i've got this training or i've got a doctor's appointment or, or what have you so it's and it's really great to hear you say that you even though you didn't at first realize their predicament schedule and circumstance you actually sought it out and you cared to look and see what was uh, available and convenient for the employee and that really shows a sense of empathy you know some uh, individuals who are supervisors wouldn't go that far wouldn't it wouldn't even cross your radar to consider what the other person's schedule is like but it sounds like you kind of identified that and and sought it out so that's a real empathetic quality and that's a good quality to have as a supervisor I'm going to shift into relationship building because I keep hearing you say that you have great relationships with your staff members and that's wonderful but I need to give tips to the listeners how to build those relationships did they just form by magic or how are your relationships built with trust open honesty and you know good communication uh, streams and built-in empathy does it just come that relationships are built out of the values that you hold and it just works out of magic are there some practical things how do you get to a point where you have great relationships built with your staff members sure and and i'm going to be honest john i mean it's it's not easy especially you know when i when i joined in psychology there were team members here already that 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 had been working here for you know a period of time um there were also team members that i had to hire so there were open positions and so I hired those, you know, positions, you know, as quickly as possible. I think we had a full team by the uh, middle of March, end of March. Um, so again, it takes time. But I also think too that you know they're watching you as well. You know, so if you're saying I'm going to do X or you know I'm going to do Y, you know, making sure that you're following through, I also think helps that. You know, and we're we're all human, okay? I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I've. Anything my staff has asked me to do, I've done it at the time frame that they want. You know, again, I've. I'm in a position where I have to juggle not only their needs, my boss's needs, the faculty's needs. And so, you know, it's a juggling act. But at the same time, if they see you're trying and you're following through the majority of the time, they're going to understand that you're human. And again, priorities change. And, you know, I would say nearly all the time I follow through most of everything that they say. It may not be at the time frame that I need to get it to them, but, you know, I still try to at least communicate beforehand if that's not the case. Um, I also think, too, it helps to show a genuine interest in your team members. So I tell my team this all the time. We spend a lot of time here together. I see... um I see them more than I see my spouse. I see her for a few hours at night. I see them here eight, nine hours a day. Um, so, you know, again, having a genuine interest in them, asking them how their weekend was, you know, what's going on in their life. You know, not to get too personal, but just to, you know, actually show some interest in them, I think, helps. And then again, too, I think appreciation goes a long way as well. And I may be jumping around here on some of these topics, but, you know, saying, you know, good job, I really, really appreciate it. And then also finding the ways that, um, your staff, you know, wants the appreciation. Is it an email? Is it in a meeting? Do they want it in front of a group? Do they not? You know, so you have to try and juggle all of those things. And I think it's a combination of factors that help to build these relationships. And it, it sounds like you have it down because you mentioned figuring out what your staff wants and listening to your staff because a genuine interest comes from listening 
And you talked about showing appreciation, which is one way to reduce turnovers to make sure that your employees feel appreciated. And it just makes me think about how a supervisor could try so hard to show appreciation by um, grilling uh, hamburgers and hot dogs for a barbecue for an employee who the employee might be a vegetarian. And it's like, if a supervisor doesn't even know what an employee wants for a celebration lunch, that supervisor is out of touch. So you mentioned showing appreciation in the way that the employee wants to receive it. And that's really important because if you have a genuine interest and a great relationship with the employee, the employee will see the token of appreciation and know that it is genuine because it's the type of appreciation that they want. And you also mentioned follow-through. That's how we build trust at Michigan State is through follow-through. If you say you're going to do one thing, do it, and that repeated behavior of uh, follow-through is going to build trust. Um, Now, again, we we talk about so much positive things in these uh, podcasts. It's great, but then we also have to talk about the not-so-positive stuff Um, And one of those things uh, is workload. And one of the reasons for a turnover is that employee might feel overburdened with workload. So how do you manage a staff that has a wide variety of tasks and some folks might get stressed out because, as you mentioned, like it's payroll week and time sheets are due and people need to get paid. That's a lot of stress. You don't want somebody to miss a paycheck. So how do you work with your staff to manage their stress so that they don't feel overburdened? Sure, and I think, again, I think that, again, has a combination of factors. And, you know, what I might, I'm about to tell you here, you know, may work in some approaches and it may not work at all. It really depends on the scenario and and the factors, you know. Um, I think, you know, based on working with my team here over the last nine months, I would probably say, and again, I'm not going to say all, but I, I'm pretty sure, certain it's nearly close, if not all of them, feel comfortable telling me that. And I know a number of them have. Um, not specifically with payroll. Actually, we seem to have a pretty good system going so far with payroll, but with other factors as well. So, um, you know, our department office, you know, there's times where, you know, things get, um, overloaded for example we get a number of requests in for reimbursements keys you know orders you name it they're they're requesting things and so i think a combination of factors of you know asking them you know especially because they are clerical you know i i say are you interested in in doing overtime you know again i don't require overtime i'm not going to require it if they don't want it um both of them have been like yeah you know some extra money or some extra time you know i'm, I'm happy to do you know, an extra five, seven hours. And so there were a couple times over the summer that we did that. Also, what I did, because um, again, we could bring in additional support, but the problem for me was I wasn't sure if this was going to be a long-term thing or not. So, you know, over the summer we had waves where faculty and staff were submitting all kinds of requests. Um, and then it would die out. Like, you know, right around 4th of July, it was pretty empty. But then right after 4th of July, their box just got slammed. So, you know, it was kind of these waves. So it was like, you know, by the time we try and bring in additional support to train, could this kind of like over time be, you know, kind of going back to normal? And again, only being here less than a year, I wasn't really sure of what to expect. So one thing, and I think I did it a couple of times, I mentioned, um, I sent an email out to the faculty and staff and just was honest with them, letting them know that, our box is overloaded. We've got, you know, them working, you know, they've both, you know, volunteered and said, we want to, we want to work overtime. We want to see this go down. And so, you know, 
again, please be patient. Again, we try to get things turned around in 24 to 48 hours. Right now, it's going to be a little delayed. You know, if there's something that really needs to be done, you know, immediately, you know, let's, you know, give me a call, give, give this, them a call, and we'll see what we can do. So trying to be accommodating to the faculty and staff, but letting them know, hey, you know, 60 of you just sent in a travel reimbursement. You know, we're not going to get all those done in 24 to 48 hours, I think, helps. So now over time, if that problem, you know, continues to happen where we just seem to ramp up and not get anywhere down, then certainly we need to look at additional support, whether it's somebody on the team already um, jumping in to assist or, you know, additional support, whether it's through a, a posted position, you know, more of an hourly position, maybe a student assistant. Um, so those sorts of things, like I said, is a combination of factors that, you know, depending on the situation could help. But again, some of it takes time as well to implement. Yes, things take time. But if you're open and honest and communicate to your team and explain to them the realistic situation, I think that builds uh, a lot of trust and good relationships. You, so you've mentioned uh, accommodation as well in some of your responses. And I'm going to shift into uh, a theme of questions uh, that the work-life office uh, supports and provides a lot of information about, and that's flexible scheduling. And flexible scheduling has a tinge of accommodation to it because uh, some people, uh, supervisors at Michigan State, take a hard line that there is no flexibility. doesn't matter if you have kids or not. I'm not going to accommodate your schedule. You need to punch in at 8 a.m. and punch out at 5 p.m. Uh, other places are very flexible and accommodating uh, to flexible uh, scheduling agreements. Um, so I'm just going to ask you about your perspective on flex scheduling. There's no right or wrong answer. I've heard uh, responses across the board. How do you approach flexible scheduling just as a function of the office? Sure. And I think it honestly, um, and I'm sure others have touched on it before, it really depends on the position. So I have, you know, um, you know, we have a, a finance administrator, an HR administrator, um, we have a, a business analyst that, um, you know, again, for them, you know, a flexible schedule of 8 to 4.30 is pretty easy to do, um, especially because they're not working in an office that it needs to be managed specifically from 8 to 5. So with them, they do have flexible scheduling. Um, we have a couple of them that do 8 to 4.30, and then one does um, 8.30 to six or nine to six. I, I'd have to look. I don't know the schedule off the top of my head. Um, now with our, with our department office staff, so one of the challenges for me is that you know the faculty and staff expect that to be open from eight to five. And so over the summer, um, I think it was in like late June, um, when I was meeting with them, we kind of brought that up. Because um, before, they had been working eight to five ever since I had started here. And so it wasn't really something that, you know, was on my priority list. And again, they felt comfortable bringing it up to me, so we talked about it. And so what we were able to do for the summer, they're like, 8 to 4.30 would really, really be great, you know, especially with, you know, a lot of daylight in the evening, you know. So I said, well, let's see what we can do. We had a stu- we have a student assistant that works here, and she was okay with, um, you know, Monday through Thursday um, staying till 5. So from 4.30 to 5, she managed that office. So both the full-time staff could just work 8 to 4.30. And then on Fridays, I went to my boss and said, hey, 
You know, Fridays in the summer typically are slow. Can we just close the office at 4.30? Like I said, I've tried to explore their options. And he's like, yeah, that's no problem at all. So he was really, really cool about it. We sent a note out again. I think communication is important, not just to the team, but to the entire department. So anytime we try to have changes like that, I try to get that information out to the department. So sometimes, you know, I find these things out last minute. So it's like, hey, you know, we just had our parking uh, or our street repaved out in front. So I learned Friday that it was going to be Monday. So I'm like, hey, heads up. So, you know, I got a bunch of emails back about, hey, we got visitor parking. What were you going to do? So we tried to work out some solutions to these challenges. But again, I mean, just the late notice, I think I got it on like Friday at nine o'clock in the morning and it was starting Monday. Um, but kind of going back to, you know, that office. So for the summer, they did the 8 to 4.30. So once, the, you know, we said, I think it was through August 23rd, was that when the schedule would end and we would reevaluate. So after reevaluating with them, one thing that I wanted to do, I wanted both of them to have buy-in. So I said, I want you two to work together to put together a solution and I want you to present it to me. Because again, I want it to be fair for everybody. And again, I think one of the best ways to do it is to have your team members have buy-in. And I thought, you know, again, why don't you come up with that proposal and, and you know present it to me and so they um, talked about it and and the last thing I had heard from that is that they really are starting to miss their one hour lunch and so they would like to kind of go back to the eight to five because again they're doing a half hour lunch with the eight to four thirty um, so you know again they wanted to go back to that eight to five schedule so again you know I've we, we've talked about again if we want to reevaluate that absolutely but again I've got to work under the constraints of having that eight to five um, office open between those times. So, yep, uh, I heard a lot of good qualities in your response there: adaptability and flexibility, and of course responsiveness. And then I heard a real practical uh, way to empower team members by uh, giving them the power to create a proposal. You know, if someone thinks. Uh, that they want to make a change and they come to their supervisor and expect the supervisor to have the solution, sometimes it's even better if the supervisor says, hey, why don't you propose the solution to me? And not only does that uh, shift the responsibility to the staff member, it empowers the staff member to really carve their own path and you know build their own experience here at Michigan State. So that's a real empowering way to go about uh, that with uh, coming up with solutions through the team as opposed to just top down. And I think those, you know, again, those solutions I think can apply to more than just flexibility. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the case of, you know, policy education, you know, again, I've, I've brought it out with certain team members like, what are your thoughts on this? Hey, do you want to put a proposal together for me and we can talk about it and, and deep dive? Because at the end of the day, I mean, I only have a, t- a team of five or six people. But, you know, I can get stretched pretty thin between trying to, you know, help them out with things that they need, things from my boss, things from faculty. And so, you know, again, I can get stretched pretty thin and I don't want all of the balls to necessarily drop on my desk. So it helps me out a lot if if they're able to, you know, put that together and just say, hey, I'm thinking this, you know, what do you think? And then from there, you know, typically we have a skeleton of something for whatever we're working on. So then we can kind of flesh out the details. But just kind of taking that first step is really helpful to me because then we can get so much more done as opposed to them waiting on me to kind of start to draft something up. Yeah. And taking the first step is uh, an important thing to do as we develop uh, here at Michigan State ways to be a better supervisor, best practices, and we share resources across campus so that we can continue to improve. And we've gone through a lot of changes at Michigan State over the past few years, and uh, it sounds like change doesn't have to be 
a bad thing. There are bad situations that come up. There are unfortunate circumstances. And as a supervisor, you're going to experience a lot of personal conflict and institutional conflict in your day-to-day experience. But if we come to the table with positive solutions and we experience change uh, in the best way that we can together as a cohesive unit that trusts one another, that's probably going to produce the best outcomes. And uh, so Nick Drew, the 2018 winner of the Outstanding Supervisor Award, I only have one more question for you sure. before we leave. What was your award ceremony like, and what are your best memories from last year's 2018 Outstanding Supervisor Award celebration? Oh, John. Well, thank you, John. <laughs> so for me, I was I was actually really, really shocked. So um, it, I think it actually, and you may remember this since you were there, you, it was, was it Boss's Day, or was it was right around Boss's Day if That's it wasn't a, Boss's a Day? a great question because we do our celebrations Around or on October 16th this year and every year, which is Boss's Day. You're okay, correct. so I am correct. I just didn't know which day it was. So anyway, my team took me out to lunch. We went out to lunch, had a really, really great time. And so it was funny because we were walking in and I said, oh, there's an MSU van here. That's interesting, you know, because um, I guess the team had come, you know, from a, a vehicle from motor pool. I was like, oh, that's interesting. You don't see that every day parked out in front of the building. And so, you know, they, I was just walking in, so I didn't see any of their faces, but I guess they were getting a little nervous, like I was catching on a little quickly. So I walk in, and I'm ready to go back up to my office, and they, I think they were trying to plan, like, hey, you know, something's going on in here. We need you in here. But they kind of escorted me in, so I was a little unsure of what was happening. And then all of a sudden I saw all these people, you know, clapping, and so I was just really over overwhelmed. Um, really, really humbled to receive the reward. Um, you know, I got to see copies of the letters that they submitted. Um, so my team was the one that submitted it, and they had some faculty letters in there and stuff. So you know, I took those home because I didn't want to read them in front of my staff and <laughs> get emotional. But um, I mean, just the things that they said. You know, again, I guess I take for granted. I mean, this is how this is how I operate. So to be able to get that award for the the work that I just come in, you know, and do. I don't feel like I, I, I work hard at trying to um, do these things that we've talked about in this in this podcast. So I was definitely very humble and, um, you know, very appreciative of the award. Um, they even invited my mom and grandma there, so that was really exciting. Um, so and, and how all these people kept this secret, um, you know, was beyond me. I mean, even even my spouse knew about it. Um, you know, people throughout the building, and there were a ton of people who knew. So to keep that under wraps. Um, was amazing, and I'm just, you know, was really um, humbled and, you know, very appreciative of receiving that. Well, you're a great recipient, and you leave us with a wonderful theme to think about, and that's making the outstanding normal. It sounds to me like you are doing outstanding things, and you're just viewing it as your normal day-to-day task and operation, and so I think if we did that across campus and we just normalized being outstanding, That'll get us to a great place. So again, Nick Drew, 2018 Outstanding Supervisor Award winner and Chief of Staff in the Department of Psychology. Thanks uh, for spending time with me today on the Work Life Podcast. Thanks so much, John. 